welcome everyone to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable's Key in Baltimore, Maryland. Today I'm joined by my special uh, guest, Vic Victoriano, General Manager with Skillforce, Inc., a guaranteed skilled construction labor leasing company with offices uh, on the East Coast and in Texas. Say hello to everyone, Vic. Hello, everybody. Wait. So as you know, Surety Today is offered only to uh, in-house claims professionals and is designed to keep the busy claims professional up to date and informed on surety industry issues. We really appreciate everybody's support, and we ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in. We also ask that you like and or share our Surety Today posts on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you miss a presentation, you can listen to a recording at multiple locations. Uh, Surety Today page uh, on our website, WCSLaw.com, as a podcast at iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, or Podbean. Just search for Surety Today. Uh, or on our micro site at suretytoday.net. If you have any suggestions for future topics or improvements, please let us know. We uh, we tried to mute the lines today uh, during the presentation, but we had a problem. It was muting out uh, uh, Vic's line, so we, we have to leave them. Uh, unmuted. So if everybody else could mute theirs or keep their background noise down, that would be good because uh, we're not able to mute everybody's lines today. So just be cognizant of that. Uh, so today the uh, title of our presentation is What the Surety Needs to Know About Leasing Labor. But before we uh, begin, I want to take a, a minute to introduce our guest. Vic is a veteran sales executive with more than 20 years of business development, operations, sales management, and training experience. He joined Skillforce in 2003, shortly after the company was founded. As I mentioned, he currently serves as the general manager of the flagship office in Baltimore, Maryland. He works to develop, integrate, and manage the company's sales and operations, procedures, and processes. He holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Colgate University. Currently serves as the chairman of the board for the Associated Builders and Contractors, the Baltimore chapter. Vic's been in the labor leasing business for so long, he literally knows everyone and everything about the business in the Mid Atlantic region. He's a tremendous resource, and I'm glad he was able to join us today. So, the impetus for today's program actually came from one of our listeners who suggested that, you know, because the labor market is so hot right now, leasing labor is something that every surety claims handler should be aware of. So many thanks to uh, Christine for suggesting that, and um, as it turns out, from time to time, Lisa Sparks here in our surety group uh, has worked with Skillforce, so we were able to get Vic to join us. So how hot is the labor market? In a recent survey by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, 70% of construction fir firms nationally said they were struggling to make deadlines because they can't find enough workers. That's 70%. The unemployment rate in construction in July of this year was 3.8%. A full 80% of the 2,500 respondents to a recent Associated General Contractors of America survey said they're having a tough time filling hourly craft positions, and 56% reported that filling salary positions was also challenging. In addition, 81% of firms said they expect that it will continue to be hard or get even harder to find workers in the short term. Overall, the construction industry has been showing steady growth and is projected to continue at a rate of 4.5% through 2019. So 
So let's get started. Uh, Vic, what, what is leasing labor all about and how does it work? So essentially the way it works is you're able to lease um, lease skilled trade labor uh, on an as-needed basis for construction projects that you're working on. Our firm primarily works on uh, commercial construction projects um, throughout the Mid-Atlantic, and we specialize in mechanical and electrical uh, help. So probably 85% of the work that we do is done in the MEP arena, <clears throat> the rest being spread out through carpentry, welding, and whatnot. So a, a client will call us with a project. They'll have a need, whether it's for one individual or perhaps a small crew of individuals, for a period of time, anywhere from you know a week to a month or a year or longer, depending upon the length of their project. And they will essentially lease those individuals from Skillforce. Those individuals will report to the job site, report to their on-site supervision that our client has, and they will be generally integrated in with the crew that is existing there from our client. Um, the client pays us an hourly rate for each individual. That hourly rate covers that individual's payroll, all of the overhead, workers' compensation, payroll taxes, unemployment, et cetera. Um, and then obviously we, we carry all of that risk with regards to workers' comp on the job. So for a lot of clients that we work with, they like the idea, the analogy we give is sort of they're able to turn the spigot on and get individuals when they need them, and they're able to close that spigot off when their, their labor needs don't demand that they have additional personnel. Okay, so like a, in a typical situation for you, you've got, you're saying your client, that would be like a subcontractor or maybe maybe a GC. Uh, yeah, mainly yeah. mainly we work with specialty contractors, subcontractors, but we do some work with general contractors as well. Um, in that case, it could be a scenario where they are looking to supplement the workforce of a subcontractor who is perhaps underperforming uh, and doesn't and and their 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 complaint back to the general contractor is, well, I, I don't have enough pe personnel to put on the job. It's hard to find people. Uh, so we have occasionally been contacted by general contractors who will say, listen, we would like to get an additional 15 electricians on this project uh, to, sell, to help bolster the staff of a, of a specialty contractor that we're working with. Okay. So, so from a surety standpoint, if they're in a position of having to step in and help, uh, help a, a principal, they could reach out to you to help supplement the labor force and, 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 and respond to an obligee's claim that there's insufficient labor on a job, which sureties get all the time. Sure, yeah. So in a tight labor market like we're seeing now in the last couple of years, how do you find the labor that, you know, that these, these specialty subcontractors, your clients, can't find? Well, I think the difference between us and our clients or subcontractors that we work with is that this is the only thing that we do. I'm not bidding projects, purchasing materials, estimating jobs, or really managing the jobs on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm strictly going out and finding the the labor. So, you know, it, most subcontractors that we work with, I would say, are, are mid-sized, so they've probably got anywhere from 40 to 80 of their own employees, and they may or may not have their own internal HR department. Uh, generally speaking, that's sort of 
pushed off onto somebody who's already got an existing position within the company. Maybe they're a project manager, uh, could be the owner of the company, could be somebody that's working in admin within within the company. Uh, but not many have a full dedicated HR department. So um, by working with a with a company that does labor leasing, you're able to access their ability to do recruitment 100% of the time. So for you know, many established companies, they've got large databases of individuals they've spoken to in the past. They're constantly recruiting on a daily basis throughout the year. Um, the difference between us and, uh, a, you know, a subcontractor is, is that we are generally busy 12 months out of the year because we, we work with so many different contractors. Somebody's always got a need. So we're constantly in hiring mode 12 months out of the year. Whereas a lot of subcontractors find themselves in sort of that seasonal hiring mode where coming out of the winter and into the spring, they'll start to ramp up. Uh, certainly, if they're doing any school work, they're really going to ramp up hard in the, in the mid to late spring as those, as those jobs come online for the summer. Uh, but then they find themselves back in a scenario late summer, early fall, where suddenly their workload isn't as much and they're finding themselves laying people off which comes with costs such as certainly in, in a state like Maryland, you're going to be taking unemployment hits, um, and that can be very expensive. So, you know, companies sometimes look to outsource that short-term need. In their, in their grand scheme, it may be a short-term need if it's only three to four months because they look, at the, they look at their book of business and say, well, I don't have enough backlog to keep people busy. If I hire people on now for the next 12 weeks – I'm just going to lay them off at the end of the summer, and then I'm going to have to pay that. You know, it's going to cut into their their profit <coughs> margins with regards to uh, having to pay out on the unemployment claims on the backside. Yeah, and so there's a couple other issues too. You're you're essentially then like a lighthouse to to labor force because they know they can go to you and and you can get them to jobs. Whereas without you, they got to go from from company to company and try to find if somebody's available or whatever if there's if there's work there. So you you provide that sort of aggregating benefit for any laborer who's looking for work. So that makes you more attractive, and oh. you're less likely to be seasonal like these other subs would be. Um, and and then from a sub standpoint, you know it helps them to to lower their costs and not carry as many employees who they got to pay all kinds of extra taxes and benefits and everything for. They can run. They can run through you, and and they and they save and reduce their costs that way. Correct. Yeah, I think the biggest benefit that people see is a reduction of those types of costs, and obviously a reduction in risk because we're carrying the workers' compensation. Um, you know, workers' comp for a lot of people is it, it can be their number one piece of overhead. Um, certainly for us, it is. Um, so. And there's a there's a lot of risk in bringing in an individual when you hire somebody brand new into your company. The numbers bear out that those are the people that the statistics will show that those are the people that generally will get hurt and file a claim. So you're, there's an added risk even if you're going if you're going to decide to go. Well, I'm going to hire on a bunch of people myself. Those are generally speaking guys that are that are going to get hurt or going to try to file those claims that you may not think are 100% legit. So there's some risk in there for people. Um, that they're able to mitigate by working with us, that you mitigate the risk also of unemployment claims because when you're done with somebody, you just send them back to the leasing company. Um, you don't have to worry about them filing an unemployment claim against you. They're, they're not even your employees. So uh, there, there's a, those two things sort of really help to, to control costs for companies. Right. 
and then you mentioned that in, in, in a lot of your clients, they've got, they've already got sort of a labor force, and then they're, you're, you're supplementing that or adding to that. How does that work? Is there any kind of, you know, uh, integration problems with you got the, the sort of the temp people coming in? Is there any kind of <clears throat> animosity that, that you're finding? There can be. Most of the companies that we work with, this is a normal practice for them to supplement their labor force throughout the year at different times, but depending upon their needs. So they they do, a, a, I think, a better job of integrating our folks in. Um, I, most of them that are very successful um, work are individual. They, they meld them into their existing crews versus working them as a separate crew. Uh, so there's, it, they avoid sort of like, a, well, there's a skill force crew, and then there's an ABC electric crew that's, that, that works for the company, and then there's these guys that aren't part of our team. Um, but all of that, I think, ultimately comes down to how strong is your management, you know, how strong is your foreman and your superintendent on the job. Um, I'd be I'd be lying if I said that we never had issues, um, but we don't have um, a whole lot. And usually when we do, it's because we found that there's been issues with the management on the job itself. Um, and, and contractors, you know, they don't – a lot of times the guy in charge of running the day-to-day jobs, foreman or superintendent, doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of personnel management experience. They know how to run a job and get, you know, and, and build a building. Uh, but personnel management may not necessarily be something they've been trained on or it may not be their strength. Um, but uh, generally we found it's, it, it, it's fairly smooth with the companies that are used to working with companies like mine. Okay. What, what about another uh, question that was asked by uh, one of the surety folks was, you know, how do you deal with performance, you know, quality productivity issues amongst the laborers that you supply and, and, you know, what, what happens with that situation where they're not, you know, maybe they're not qualified or trained mm-hmm. right or whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they do defective work. What, what's your. Well, there's, that? there's sort of, I think there's two pieces to that. So one is we're, we let people know that we do not perform like a subcontractor. So we don't provide supervision for the crew. We don't have a foreman out there. Um, we don't, you know, we don't supply our own materials, um, and we're not going to directly interact with the general contractor that our that our subs got uh, got a contract with. Um, most companies like ours uh, and most of my competitors provide some sort of eight to sixteen hour guarantee on everybody that goes out, so that you have one or two days to evaluate every individual that comes out to the job. Um, and then obviously there's constant communication between, at least for us, there is between our office and the, and the foreman or the superintendent running the job to get a sense of how the work is going. Um, you know, this is a relationship business and every instance that we have is different with somebody. So I've got some contractors where, yes, there's been an issue with a job where the quality of the work wasn't good or there was a mistake made. And we take all of those on a case-by-case basis, but most companies that do what we do are not just going to generally flat accept some sort of chargeback from a client who, after the fact, says, well, we weren't happy with the work. Um, in the service agreements that we have, it is expressly laid out that the the client that we're working with is responsible to direct, manage, and control the job site. Um, 
So it is, uh, it is inherent, it's the inherent responsibility of the client to make sure that the quality of the work is what they want, that guys are producing at the level that they want. And if they're not, they need to communicate that back to us so that we can affect making a change of that personnel off the job site. Um, the advice I give to people that are working with us for the first time is you wouldn't hire somebody in, uh, put them to work, and just turn them loose on a job site and not check their work until the job was done. Um, and I think we've run into issues with contractors that bring us in and they don't look at us uh, like leased labor. They look at us like a subcontractor. They put all of our guys on one section of a job. They let them run unsupervised or with very little supervision for a large portion of time. And then they circle back and check the work, and they say, well, we're not happy with either the, the quantity of work was done or the quality or there was mistakes made. And we look at that as a management issue and not necessarily a performance issue. Um, you have to have a good relationship with everybody you work with, though, to work through those scenarios to figure out how you're going to handle it. Um, I can't speak for how other companies handle those kinds of things. Most of the companies we work with, we've worked with for a long time. We take everything on a case-by-case -case basis, and we, you know, we want to have good relationships with people. You work through those problems. And I think contractors in general are used to taking that approach because every subcontractor along the line has had an issue with their work with a general contractor, and you know, you've got you to sit down at a table and hash it out and figure out how you're going to fix it. Right, okay. Well, let's, um, let's look at the, you know, the sort of the, the – Let's say you're you're in the position now where you need to go contact somebody like you and get and get in this uh, lease labor force. What are the the pitfalls or the dangers that uh, you know that a surety company or that your clients really need to be aware of? And I'm not saying you know that it's a danger of pitfall working with you. I'm talking about maybe others in the industry or what you're seeing out there. Yeah, there's definitely there's there's some companies like ours and, and some other very large national based companies that have been around for a long time and and I wouldn't have any qualms if any you know if somebody said hey I'm going to work with Skillforce or Tradesman International or 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 uh, CLP I mean those are all large companies that I would feel confident if somebody was working with them that they're not going to have any issues there has as of late in the last few years there's been some smaller companies that have sort of sprouted up that are that'll do work and I wouldn't – those are the companies I think you really need to take a hard look at to make sure that they're doing everything the right way. You know, larger companies like ours, you know, we're doing things like – we've been doing E-Verify since that system came out. Every employee that works for us has gone through that process. So um, we're, we have – you know, we're self-insured for our workers' compensation. We provide all of our clients with COIs so that we, they have proof that we've got workers' compensation. Some companies out there, these smaller guys, they'll 1099 everybody because if uh, somebody's a 1099 subcontractor, independent subcontractor, they don't have to provide workers' compensation. But if that individual goes out to a job and gets hurt, they're going to go after somebody to get paid and to have that injury covered. And if they're not really an independent subcontractor, if they're really just a full-time employee working for somebody, there's, so, there's going to be some repercussions there. Um, there could also be repercussions with regards to taxes and, and whatnot, uh, and then you then suddenly you've got the IRS sort of sniffing around and trying to decide, okay, if, if somebody's been on a job for a year with the same subcontractor, um, 
they may look to that subcontractor and say, well, they were essentially employed here by you. Um, There's been some rumblings recently about co-employment and how that's going to be looked at by the DLLR. We haven't had any major issues here in Maryland or Virginia about it, Um, but that could be something that would, I think, would make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, And then you've got things like if you're working on Davis-Bacon prevailing wage jobs or if they're hiring people as an independent contractor, are they paying the proper wages? Can they provide you with the certified payroll reports? to prove that they're they're making all the correct payments. Um, I think those are sort of the areas where smaller companies, individuals that are that are trying to do the least labor business, they try to cut corners because that's they look at that as a way to boost their profit margins um, by cutting out that overhead of workers' compensation um, and uh, payroll taxes and things like that. Um, those are individuals. I, those are companies. I think I would probably steer my clients away from, um, simply because I think there's just too much risk in working with companies like that. Yeah, it's funny this topic came up. I've I've been dealing for the last six months with a case where it's exactly what you're saying. Uh, it's a small guy, and and he's he's purporting to be a subcontractor, and he brings in you know a crew of laborers to do the work. There's, you know, he's he's paying them in cash. There's no evidence that any taxes have been paid or any insurance has been paid, and you know, there's no evidence that they are independent contractors versus employees, or you know, it's a, it's a it's a mess. And for the surety, you know, do you, and they've now made claims against the bond. Does the surety pay? Because if you do, you know, now you're potentially the IRS is coming after you because you paid this this labor force. And maybe you've got a false claim situation there. Maybe you've got exposure, uh, you know, from from immigration issues. It's a it's a mess. And so I think I think from a surety standpoint, you really got to have the checklist and say I need to see, you know, the certificate of insurance, like you say that you provide. Uh, if you're paying them 10.99, I need to see what what test you're using to evaluate whether they are or they aren't. And then, and that you know, and that you're actually uh, filing the proper tax forms, and and workers' comp, as you said, is is huge, um, you know. And this e-verify, what you know, get some kind of documentation if if you're the surety that that these people are, are properly documented and can properly work on the job. So um, that's something that I think everybody, um, if you're going to be dealing with with this with this uh, leasing of labor, you've got to you've got to do. Now, well, that was one question that uh, um, one of the surety folks asked before the presentation today was, you know, uh, sometimes on the Davis-Bacon or the prevailing wages, the, you know, the, la- the labor leasing company will show that they've paid the, you know, the wage determination rate, but then they, they deduct whatever has to come out of that and they end up paying the laborer less. Um, obviously, that's not the way that it should operate, and, and, and how can they guard against that? That's. I wouldn't even know how to answer that because that's not. That's a. I mean, if they're providing you with certified payroll reports, that should. Yeah. They should. That should be enough to to provide the coverage that you're looking for. Um, Companies can. You can't do anything with regards to the wages. You can. You can back out money from the fringe that is allotted on a Davis-Bacon job 
if the individual is already partaking, if you're already paying a portion of their health care uh, and retirement plan, you are able to back out a portion of that money, but not all of it. Um, so there may you need to make sure that there's not some confusion between what where what money is being backed out and from where. But the wage portion on a Davis Bacon Johnson is, I mean, you you can't do anything to that money. I mean, that's his. There's no way to back out any of that money at all. So if the certified payroll reports are showing that the individual is getting paid less than the than the hourly wage that's on the wait on the decision for the job, um, that's definitely a red flag. Yeah. Okay. One of the issues you mentioned uh, some some of the some of the governmental agencies looking at co-employment of, of these workers. One of the issue is with, you know with OSHA and work workplace safety. Who's you know, who's responsible for ensuring the workplace safety? What do you guys do with that? So again, that for us that falls under the purview of the clients that we're working with because they're they they need to direct manage and control the job site itself. Um, so uh, we spend a lot of time. We have our own project managers, I guess would be the, for lack of a better term, or account reps that visit job sites daily. They're trained on what to look out for in a job site, and if we feel like there's a uh, a safety concern, that's something that we'll address with our client uh, and the general contractor if we need to. Um, we work with a, a lot of our clientele work with large general contractors. Safety has become a huge hot button for most of the large GCs in the Mid-Atlantic. Um, a lot of them have their own safety director on a large job site, all working hours. Um, so we haven't run into a whole lot of issues. I haven't run into any OSHA issues. Uh, the last time we had any sort of issue with a, with an OSHA inspector was on a residential job that we did about 12 years ago. Uh, but on a commercial project, we've not been involved, not directly involved with any sort of issues with OSHA. We've been uh, sort of tangentially associated where somebody else on a job site may have had an OSHA violation, which resulted in the job being shut down. So we couldn't work uh, with our, because our client couldn't work. Um, but, you know, I think it, 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 it's imperative on everybody, again, back to sort of having relationships with people, understanding the culture for us about the clients that we work with and how do they take safety, um, you know, who do they work with. Um, we work with enough people that when we're working with somebody new, I will do my due diligence and call the people that they've told me that they've worked with and try to get a sense of how how they work and what their, what their safety uh, track record is. You know, because for us, certainly, we don't want to be involved with working with a company that um, doesn't have safety at the top of the list because it could not only does it put our workers at risk, but obviously it's a huge financial risk for us because, you know, if somebody suffers a severe injury, you know, we could be talking about a claim that could be, you know, six, seven figures high. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's the key from a surety standpoint. If you're going to be bringing in this, this, uh, you know, at least labor uh, forces, that you take a look at that issue of, of safety and make sure that that's being addressed um, on the job. Let's see. One other issue. I mean, it, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 28.9% of construction workers are Latino or Hispanic. 
We see a lot in the news about immigration, tightening the borders, increased enforcement. Have immigration issues affected the labor market that you're seeing? Not in the labor market here. Um, I think in Texas probably a little bit more. Um, but I will tell you that because of the type of work that we do, that really is skewed much more towards the higher-end skilled individuals that work. Not a lot of individuals that are immigrating to the United States um, from Central America, Latin America, have those skills as soon as they, they get here. So if you look at our um, workforce, I would say it is less than 10% Latino or Hispanic. Um, here in Baltimore, it's virtually none. Um, in Northern Virginia, uh, it's probably closer to that 10%. Certainly in Texas, it's 10%. In our office in Charlotte, it's virtually none. In Richmond, it's virtually none. Um, so we haven't seen that have a real effect on our ability to recruit and have it affect our business. I do know that there are segments of the construction market where it does affect them. Certainly, um, I've got relationships with several large landscape contractors here in the Mid-Atlantic that utilize visa programs to bring in workers, and they have had a real tough time um, because it's the more stringent uh, requirements and restrictions they're having more and more of an issue. Um, so I think there are certain segments of the construction industry that are finding that, but for the least labor folks, and certainly for people that do the kind of work that I do, um, it hasn't had a tremendous amount of effect on our business so far. Um, now, that may be different for – there's some companies out there that do strictly day labor or general site labor, and that's all the kind of work that they do. Um, they may be affected more, but the higher skilled positions have not necessarily been affected to that great of a degree. Right, okay. Uh, well, just real quick, I, I know you're probably uh, very in tune with the labor market. What do you see? What do you see happening in the next year? It's not going to get any better. Um, <laughs> you know, it's um, you know the unemployment's still low. People are working, and then people, you know, a lot of people that aren't working are just not. They're not even looking for work. Uh, it's becoming harder and harder every year to find people uh, in the skilled trades for sure. And it's it's only getting worse because not. No, no young folks are going into those trades really anymore. Uh, certainly here in Maryland, they've done away with vocational schools for the most part. I think in Baltimore County, they've got three different programs scattered around the county, one for HVAC, one for, uh, I think, carpentry, and the other for electrical. Um, but they're very small programs, um, and everybody today wants to send their kids to college because the message is, you can only get a good job if your kid goes to college. And I think there's some organizations like AGC and ABC and ASA that are trying to change that message that there's really great careers to be had in construction um, and that starting out in an apprentice in a field that requires a four-year apprenticeship is something that, you know, you can get a great education that is paid for by a contractor so you don't have student debt. Um, and the numbers bear out that you come out of those programs and you're, you're you're making the same amount of money as individuals that are coming out of a four-year college. Um, the the difference definitely is is that individuals coming out of a four-year apprenticeship program they can get hired. You know, if you're a graduate of the you know Harford County uh, Electrical Apprenticeship Program, 
when you get out of that program, you're you're never going to be you know looking in the job market for too long. You'll be able to find a job pretty quick. Um, whereas you know I know a lot of folks that uh, they get out of college nowadays and they're uh, trying to figure out where they're going to work, um, and you know they end up back working in uh, you know in retail or or the restaurant business while they're you know trying to get get a job in the field that they really want to work in. Yeah, some of them live in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, I, I thank you again, Vic, for, for talking with us today. Uh, I want to let everyone know the next edition of Surety Today will be Monday, September 9th, 1230. We're going to talk about the surety and delay claims. Uh, so upcoming events, the Atlanta Surety Claims Association lunch meeting is, is August 15th. Uh, they're going to have Bill McConnell from uh, Vertex talking about the state of the construction and surety industry. That's always good. Uh, the Perlman Conference is in Seattle, September 4 and 6. Philadelphia is having its lunch meeting September 11th. Uh, we're going to have at the uh, PSCA lunch meeting, there's going to be a panel discussion with the Philly area surety claims managers, including people from Travelers, Chubb, AIG, Arch. Uh, that's always a really good program if you're in the area. Uh, the Northeast Surety Fidelity Claims Conference is, is September 18th through the 20th at the Ocean, formerly the Ravel in Atlantic City. Uh, so, so be sure and uh, and come up for that. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again. And if anybody has any questions, let's go ahead and get those in now. Okay. Hey, Vic, have right, you ever worked directly for a surety company in providing lease labor? No, not directly for a surety. And, and how would one get in touch with you if, if there was a need for that? Um, well, you could uh, you could email me. That's probably the easiest way. My email is pretty simple. It's vic, V-I-C, at skillforce.com. Um, or my office number, which is uh, 410-344-6232. Thank you. Yeah, we on our uh, on our announcement for this uh, for this presentation, we put Vic's contact information. Okay. Thanks. And, and his picture. <laughs> uh, any other questions, anybody? All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again, Vic, for. for Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye, bye. Take care.